Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back to Conversations. And Z and I are here again talking about death by a thousand cuts. Z, you introduced this topic as something from martial arts. And the idea is that you don't have to strike a fatal blow to take someone out. In fact, sometimes the accumulation of many small injuries can have even a more damaging effect than one powerful strike. So you give someone a small injury and they don't think about it, they go about their lives. Another small injury, they keep on going about their lives. You keep on doing this, they start feeling debilitated, but maybe they don't put the whole picture together. And they look at each one of these injuries and they think, not such a big deal. It's not gonna kill me, it's not going to destroy me, so let me continue. Let me ignore it or let me put a Band-Aid over it. But ultimately, if you are injured enough times, the accumulation of all of those cuts leads to your demise. And that perhaps is why it's such a powerful and effective technique. It goes on under the radar. It's a slow accumulation, it's a gradual process, and by the time you get to the point where you recognize the damage, it's too late. You've made your bed, now you lie in it. Today we're looking at that same concept and we're thinking about death by a thousand cuts in many aspects of life. If you look at some of the challenges that we face today, we face the death of good health. Physical health has declined around the world. Obesity is on the rise, diabetes, high blood pressure. We can talk about that in the context of a number of small decisions or behavioral changes that have led to this more general decline. We see it in relationships. There's a lack of intimacy, a lack of communication, people cohabiting and living separate lives under the guise of marriage or relationship. And there's really no point to the arrangement. And in fact, it takes something like coronavirus to make people wake up and say, I have nothing in common with this person which is why we see divorce rates spiking. We can talk about the death of independent thinking by just going along with the crowd, by trusting experts, losing the ability to ask questions, losing the willingness to offend other people because suddenly we're in a culture where everything we say needs to be validated. Everything we say needs to be appreciated by others because God forbid we offend them, that becomes a microaggression and that's something that we want to avoid. So in each of these cases, it's not really a sudden shift. It's a small accumulation of changes that has led us down a path with disastrous consequences. Let's explore some of these challenges that we're facing. And Z, maybe you can start us just with some context around this concept of a death by a thousand cuts. 
I've given a few examples. How do you think about this? I mean, when you've worked with people, give us an example of challenges that people face that seem to sneak up on them because it's a series of small challenges that grow into something that's really big. We've been the death by a thousand cuts, of course, as you mentioned. When we think about it in, 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 in a martial term, you have opponent that is that equals you in all ways. They're fast, they're strong, they have endurance. They're witty, they have good strategy and great support. So you're, you're equal in all ways. So in order to defeat that opponent, you have to throw away that book and say, okay, I'm going to nick his eye. And then in turn, he has to now create a new strategy that doesn't include the wounded eye. And then maybe you hurt one of the small bones in his body. So it's not a big deal, but it's enough for him to adjust strategy. And eventually, if he adjusts his base strategy enough, he'll be on the fly trying to figure out things, and he'll have no more plan. And that was your plan, to create a situation that was very taxing, very costly to him. And thus you defeat him by the thousand meager blows. If we apply that to the everyday life, the thousand cuts to where you lose your basic ability to reason, you start going along with little things, maybe little trends. You look at the rise of the influencer as a society. If we were to look back just a few decades ago, the idea that there would be a person who simply gained notoriety from notoriety's sake would be in a position where they would be questioned about issues of state, issues of health and well-being. We wouldn't have believed it. So it wasn't so much the rise of the influencer. It was the death of sensibility. Slowly, we went along with it. And so it's no big deal. Of course, you know, they have a pogo stick on their head and a plunger up their ass. Nobody's going to really do more than laugh at that. Then we said, oh, but, but they're really funny. Or they're really peculiar. And you know what? Uh, he has a great backstory why he has a... a, a plunger up his ass or pogo stick on his head or whatever it is. Then we go into the store and we say, oh, poor guy, poor girl. I feel them. I feel their pain. Then they come up with another story and the next thing you know, you have a plunger up your ass and a pogo stick on your head in solidarity with that person. You remember when this started happening? Let's go back even in your lifetime, you young folks, where there was this gradual decline or the radio stations played music you hated in an endless loop. Mm -hmm. Then they gave you a backstory on the artists and how they were found homeless under the bus station singing for pennies and they just brought them indoors. And your heart warms and your sentiment is open. You say, oh, I get it. I feel the screeching in their voice is really the pain of no mother. I like that song. I feel sorry for them. And the next thing, though, the screeching and howling becomes the number one hit. And everybody agrees, well, the music is horrible. But did you hear about their story? 
which was a compelling story. So each little cut undermines your initial clear thought that the music is garbage. This person has nothing to say or offer society. That was your initial thing. Real basic, real survival, real primal, real clear. But we cut on it. We slashed at it. Just a little, not enough to braise your defenses. Right? We do that in relationships. You have a wonderful relationship with your partner. They have a social life of some kind before you or after you. And then they're with miserable friends. And part of being with the miserable friends is sharing miserable stories. So they start looking for misery in the relationship, right? And they say, I can't really find anything. Ben's a great guy. You know what I don't like? I just don't like the way he just throws his shoes down when he comes in the house. <laughs> Little cut. Doesn't really bother you, but now that you're with other miserable people, it bothers you. Then over a period of time, everything that Vin does or everything that your that your lover does starts to irritate you. Things that didn't even matter before now matter a lot. There's another cut. Or how about the average one of us who looks at the state of politics? Well, some time ago before you started getting cut, you could see politicians plainly for what they were your basic garden variety sociopath, narcissistic sociopath. You didn't care whether it was a Democrat, an Independent, or Republican. You knew that this person is uh, probably five steps below a used car salesperson at the Lemon Lot. You know that. And you're simply told you. Then you start listening. And then you get a little cut from a friend. Well, they're better than the other one. Oh, you're right, they're a little bit better. Then the dirt comes out on the other one. And dirt comes out on your person. But their dirt is dirtier than, than the, the, that dirt. Their shit stinks worse than the other one's shit stinks. So then, now you're in your camp and, and, and others are in their camp. Sensibility no longer exists. And we see it played out in politics of the day. Literally what was okay 30 years ago would be considered saintly in this day. And what is common behavior now would be considered treasonous, felonious, and, 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 and at base, at least, criminal. The average behavior of statesmen. So when did this change? Well, it was a death by a thousand cuts. It gradually changed. We just went along with things. Even when our instincts and our sensibilities told us that, you know what, I don't really need to go along with this. If you've ever been stopped by a cult or anybody up on Hollywood Boulevard, they'll stop you and they'll talk to you and they'll share a common concern. Then they'll go on and on. Next thing you know, you're spending 10, 20 minutes talking to a cult member. Well, the bottom line, they're cult members. They're brain-dead cult members. There's no reason to talk to them. But you find yourself slowly slicing at your own sensibility 
allowing that bleed to happen until it can't be patched up. Next thing you know, you're selling cookies for the cult up in Hollywood on your free time, thinking they know the truth. Or whatever it is, um, we look at the situation now that we're in, in this pandemic. Nobody cares anymore what is real or unreal, what is truth and what is lie. Everybody is simply in a state of fear and concern of dying. There are people that want the maids and servants to die right away so they can get pizza. There are other people that don't want to die, so they're just hunkered in, don't want to work, don't want anything. Nobody, I must say nobody, I'm not meaning everybody, I'm just saying the vast majority of us have been so sliced and diced that we don't even ask questions and we damn sure won't peek our head out the door. We are masked up, sanitized. People with good sense who understand the algebra of the immune system don't even trust their own knowledge, don't even trust their own microscope. Kids who play in dirt have better immune systems than kids that don't. We all know that. People who get sick and well are stronger than people who have lived in a sterilized environment. We all know that, but we don't even believe what we know anymore. Sensibility has died by a thousand cuts. Little by little by little. Sometimes it's as simple as, well, let's just get along with everybody. I want to get along with my family, so I'm going to go along. I'll wear, you know, the Kofifi suit and stuff at home, and I'll do all this kind of stuff. Or whatever it is, well, there's a doctor that I trust, and then there's one I don't trust, and I'm listening to it. Then we find ourselves all in an echo chamber, which is slicing and dicing our our, our, our sensibilities out of existence. We listen for the echo chamber. Keep repeating what I already have heard. It follows the thing with the old radio station. Thing. Get a bad song, get payola, and just keep playing in an endless loop. The next thing you know, that song that you hated when you heard it, you're humming it in the shower. Girls just want to have fun. Whatever it is, right? You've heard it so many times, it becomes your theme song. It wasn't a good song the first time you heard it. It's not a good song now. But because you heard it so much, your shield is down. Your resistance is down. Your immune system is down. And you're just going for anything. Yeah, it's uh, pretty interesting the way that you put it. And as I'm listening to you talk, we can break down the structure of this phenomenon, this death by a thousand cuts. There are a couple of things that jump out at me. One is that it's a series of gradual changes. And these gradual changes become normalized, they become accepted, they feed on one another. So you take something like independent thinking. And you mentioned how we're used to now listening to experts and outsourcing our thought because some scientist has published something in an academic paper and God forbid we ask questions and challenge that. Who are we to challenge someone in a position of expertise and authority? So that's part of it. Part of it could be that we're just too distracted because we're driven by our anxiety. We're driven by whatever the hell is happening on social media. 
Hold that point, Vin. So you get me worked up. We're not even listening to scientists anymore. We're listening to people of theater, comedians, jokesters, and people we consider to be successful in different fields that have nothing to do with science. We're not even listening to science anymore because we distrust intellect. Along the road of the thousand cuts, we stop trusting intellectuals. We stop valuing them. So most of the news is not from people of science, but a pharmaceutical executive, a tech firm head, an internet influencer said. So we've already been bled out to where we don't want to, if we hear a scientist, we immediately shut that down. It's too technical, it's too much. It's just too much information. If it's anything outside of our echo chamber, any words, any song that we're not used to playing in the endless loop, we reject it endless. I've witnessed this with people. Where if they hear something that doesn't echo what they've already been being cut by, if it's not the constant slash of that straight razor, if it's the sound of the band-aid pad being opened, they don't want to hear it. So I hear what you're saying. I just had to stop you because we're not even listening to experts in that field. Mm -hmm. Because they don't have enough likes. <laughs> but I'll just interrupt you for a second. Good God, you got me worked up. Yeah, we're getting out topic, but we can explore this for a second. It's an interesting discussion. There are experts in the field, and the experts have opinions that are all over the place. So you can find an expert that supports your point of view. I don't know if people are completely dismissing science. Well, see, deductive reasoning has been cut out of us. So whoever you get information from, you say, okay, where is this information coming from, and what is their vested interest in, their, in, in the information they're sharing with me? You know right away if somebody works for a pharmaceutical company, just, just take that equation. That's just good science. You have a vested interest in, 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 in saying these things. So let's eliminate that. That's what you do in science. You disprove your own theory. Okay, this person has a vested interest in social control. Okay, let's not listen to them. But after you weed that out, then you can find the truth. The truth, as they said, the Vedas is a deep lake. Mm -hmm. Few people wish to uh, explore its unknown and perilous depths, but they would rather rest on its pristine and comfortable shores. So the mind likes efficiency. The brain loves efficiency, less effort. It takes less effort to research than to just listen to a rumor or hear something and go along with it. It's just very easy. Oh, is that right? Mm -hmm. Ah, St. Nick is coming. Okay, that's great. Yeah, so I don't think we're saying things that are that different. When I'm talking about the scientists and the experts, uh, I'm saying if someone has credentials if they're on the news, if they've written academic papers, if they have numbers and models to back themselves up, that's something we're not questioning. Well, I want to know who they're selling their ass to. I want mm -hmm. to know, that's all I want to know. That's the only other part of that. Yeah. I just want to know the variables. Once I understand the variables, I can take their word based on that percentile of variable. Mm -hmm. So if they work for the company they're trying to sell the shit for, I can trust 10% of what they say. Right. 
and we build it like that. That's real simple, right? That's what we used to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it took 400,000 people to send vehicles to the moon, to hit the moon. There were over 400,000 scientists, engineers, and experts of all kinds to get a spaceship to the moon. 400,000 people it took. The first 10 times they went to the moon, they missed nine times. Just send them a damn probe. With all the experts and everybody looking at the moon, it took 400,000 people. So whoever, whatever clown walks up in front of you and wants to explain Kofifi to you, you have to consider that. And when you don't consider that, that means your brain has been bled. You're, you're dying a, a slow death. I'm not just talking about Kofi, but just in life. Just think for yourself. Take these variables and go, hmm, what did I learn? What did I learn? Then they found out the few people that could get a, a th- hit, hit the moon, they weren't listened to at first. Because they weren't sponsored by anybody. Yeah. Well, this point is interesting because I see this, whether it's predicting what's happening with this crisis mm-hmm. or it's financial predictions or predictions about election outcomes. Generally, the people who get the most coverage are the ones who are saying the craziest shit. That's what sells. If someone says, yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but yeah, people are going to die and nothing to really do. Let's just continue living the way that we have been, accept death, bury our dead, that person's not going to get airtime. The one who comes out and says, oh my God, this is a complete crisis and everyone's at risk and you can't leave your house, that person's going to get airtime. So we go back to the death by a thousand cuts and we talk about how we undermine relationships covered with the little things and relationships that we do to one another, friendships, uh, intimate partners, that just eventually you just can't recover. You can't bring it back. You're hobbled. Your your Achilles is sliced, right? Your tendons are cut. You're walking with a limp instead of walking with a glide through your relationship. You may even stay in the relationship, but there are things that you can't even reconcile anymore. Now it's all liability. You're crippled into liability. Yeah, uh, that Talk I... About. That I totally I agree with. I think you've got a lot of relationships which are just functional. Actually, they're dysfunctional arrangements. I was going to say functional arrangements, but they're arrangements. They're dysfunctional. They're two people who happen to be together, who don't spend time together. A lot of times you've got either both the man and the woman working so that they're not spending time together. Or if that's not the case, then the wife is taking care of the kids going out, vacationing somewhere over the summer. Husband is working late to support this lifestyle. With resentment. Yeah, with resentment. It's not a sustainable lifestyle. So you bond into a number of ideas. If you relate that to the death of a thousand cuts, you've got this unsustainable lifestyle that you have to support, which puts enormous demands on whoever is making the money. Then you've got resentment in both directions. On the one hand, the person who's making the money feels like, why do I have to support this enormous albatross that's weighing me down? On the other hand, uh, the other person is saying, well, this was part of the deal, and let me compare myself to all of my friends and all of the other people in my community. I can name three people who have more money 
bigger houses, they've got a private jet, so why am I not getting that? So you've got a resentment on both sides. Then you don't have time to raise the kids, so you're so consumed up, consumed with your own drama, so you miss out on that part of the intimacy, that value of having a family. Kids end up hating you. They speak with a Filipino accent because the Filipino nannies are raising them. So they might become social pariahs in the future. <laughs> you have a good point, though. Uh, but it, the point isn't about the, the accents. The point is about the care and who's raising the kids and what the impact of that is. Then you couple that with more cuts, and the additional cuts come through habit. Hey, it's time to turn on the TV and mindlessly scroll through Netflix. But while we do that, it's time to check our cell phones. Oh, dinner's done. Let's sit down together three feet away from each other, but we could be 3,000 miles away. Who the hell would know? Because we're wrapped up in our phones. So we're not communicating. We're not present. There's no intimacy whatsoever. You take that and you add additional cuts. Well, now we're worried about social status. We're worried about money, which mm -hmm. comes from the unsustainable lifestyle. We're worried about work and what might happen. We're prone to anxiety. We're listening to the news. So, so you take all that anxiety, and then you're hunkering down. That is like a wall going up between two people. You're fighting for your own survival. You don't want to have any intimacy, any mm -hmm. sex. That also damages the relationship. And you end up in a world where you're just plodding along, but there's really no value you're getting out of the relationship. So whenever you have that technique of death by a thousand cuts, you can see how it applies to many areas of life. There's also an antidote for that. Each one of those cuts requires withdrawal intending to the cut. The band-aiding, the um, stitching, the suturing of that cut. The smallest cut can lead to the biggest infection. A few years ago I had a small spider bite that just turned into a major issue. You want to get to it as soon as possible so that requires a sudden or immediate response to the event. So you deal with small things while they're small. When it comes to the thousand cuts in the relationship, after you get that first few cuts, you have to stop and tend to those. When you see that this no comp, there's no real communication, a lack of intimacy, one of the, the, the best signs, as I was talking uh, about this the other day, is why did you get married to the person? So whatever is taking you off of that mission is a cut. You got married to that person because you wanted them to be your life partner on a certain agreed terms. Stick to that and not let the cuts, right? Life is a fight. So life is a strategy. Life is filled with track. So get back on track. It starts first with the couple, then outside of that are the children and family, outside of that, but tending to the couple first. Tend to that first. That's where the wound starts. It doesn't start with the in-laws. It doesn't start with the kids. It starts with the couple first. 
if you're going for uh, weeks and, and, and months without uh, sex or intimacy, that's a bunch of stabs. That's really death by ten stabs. Because it says, I don't have time for you. I'm busy with these outside things and the energy for you is less valuable than for me. So even with your wife, your, 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 your lover, whatever it is, checking in with them. And it's not about the sex, it's about what the sex represents in terms of nurturing time. The same thing when you actually are working with your children. They have endless energy and they ask questions, they ask questions. So just shutting yourself down from the outside world and what will they remember about you? So as a parent, then so you have to reconcile yourself. What do you call parental duty? When kids are little, you can't really do a lot. You need nannies and mommies and, and in-laws around. There's nothing you do for them. As they become teenagers, they need a lot from you. So accept that. In your career choices, when you're at a job and you're, you're not doing your job anymore, you're actually fighting coworkers and the boss and you're constantly navigating around there, then you would really have to start plotting your triage. How do I heal myself, move out of this in a way that is least harmful to me? can't just leave the job, but you should already be plotting your wellness journey out of that situation, right? Because whatever the agreement was has been overshadowed by the blistering and the the, the, the stinging of the cuts you've received because you didn't sign up to have to fight with the guy in the cubicle next to you or, or navigate the, the, the wife's emotional or, or, the, or the, the boss's emotional mood swings, right? I've had that job too where the job was great but the boss had a personality disorder and would randomly come in raging at everybody. Look, I didn't sign up for that, okay? that puts you in a state of anxiety, not knowing if you're going to lose your job or have your job, whether you did good or bad. There were other people who navigated that very masterfully. Me, I did not, so I got the hell out of there. So there is a cure to the death by a thousand cuts, but that cure requires your withdrawal mm -hmm. and tending to yourself. Yeah, that term tending to, I think, is really important. In fact, I was having a similar conversation with someone the other day, mm -hmm. uh, just talking about life's challenges. And how it really goes back to doing your duty. And it's like tending a garden. you mm -hmm. got to make sure that you're cleaning out the weeds, you're providing some water, some fertilizer, some care. You do that every day, and the garden takes care of itself. But if you let the weeds overrun the garden, if you're not ensuring that the plants are getting enough sunshine, these problems build up. And then over time, the whole thing falls apart. So just by ignoring that basic duty that you have, you get to a point where the energy required to fix a problem has grown exponentially. It's a much, much bigger problem than what you started with. And I don't know what the exact cause is, if it's a sense of entitlement or laziness. I, I feel sometimes in our society, people just don't want to get involved. They don't want to get their hands dirty. Or if there's any disruption to routine, you don't want to deal with that. There's a sense of, oh, why should I have to do that? But if you frame it in terms of duty, these are the things that I have to take care of every day. Mm -hmm. A lot of those cuts, you can immediately fix. You can heal and you can move forward and function properly. As opposed to letting the wound fester, getting the infection. You know, Ben, that's, that's the perfect point. And, and I think that's the point of the whole thing. What we can share, what we can share with, 
with the people that care to hear what we have to say is that we all are subject uh, or vulnerable to the death by a thousand cuts, a thousand worries, a thousand issues, uh, a thousand uh, disappointments, right? But the cure is when they're small, mm-hmm. is the tending to the injury. So the idea in yoga is ahimsa, do no harm. And the first rule of ahimsa is to do no harm to yourself. So when you are harmed, you must withdraw from that that is harming you and tend to it. That is your duty to yourself. Before you can fulfill duty to others, you must fulfill duty to yourself. Before we can be the best fathers we can be, we need to tend to ourselves. To be the best partner you can be, you must be self-sustaining within yourself. So in first, tend to yourself. Heal that wound or manage that cut. Address the wound there. A great boxer always has a cut man in his corner. And as soon as he gets cut, and as soon as he takes the break, the cut man tends to that cut so that he can fight to the highest level of ability in that moment. If you don't have a cut man, you're basically trying to see through your own blood and breathe through your own uh, wound, then you're not at your best. With a good cut man, you're at your best. So you need to be your own best cut man. I think about that when, 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 when you share these ideas that people um, find themselves in deep suffering and they just go deeper into it. And they're so debilitated that they can't ever elevate themselves out of that. And they learn to live wounded, beat up, no creativity. The humanity has exhausted themselves and they're simply the walking dead, as, as the Vedas have warned us. The death of sensibilities. We must ask questions. We must think for ourselves. We must leave room and say, I'm not sure. I need to maybe find out more. Right? And as I hear, uh, I hear the words of the day, you hear the, the grinding of those blades just cutting at people. You turn on the radio and they're just feeding fear. Endless stream of fear and distress. Well, you know, we don't have that much time, no matter how we don't live that long. Can you find through that barrage of cuts, through that hacking machine, an area of safety where you can just simply get on with your life? Nurture the people that love you. Have more good times than bad. But because we have already are suffering the weakness of the cut, our immune system is down. Not just the gross immune system, but the mental, intellectual, emotional immune system. That shield is down. Our shin chi is down because we've been cut so much that we are now submitting to the hand of the torture, this unseen hand. And so I ask people, what is the cure? Uh, As you said, tending to yourself, taking care of things when they're small, looking after your little wounds while they're manageable. So this is a time again of working on quiescence. How can I Work on the essence of quiet and stillness in me. Ask yourself, what do I need? What, what is it that can help me through this? 
what are the things that are I'm so used to getting cut by I don't even notice anymore? Yeah, that I think is a critical point because uh, part of the reason we don't attend to this is this normalization of wounds. We talk about anxiety and how anxiety, people don't even know they're anxious because everyone around them is anxious. You've got this latent sense of urgency that you have to go somewhere else, do somewhere else, or do something else, be someone different than who you are, and it operates below the surface. So that's something that's crippling us that we're not necessarily aware of. This whole idea of asking questions we're in a time where there's an attack on freedom of speech. And if you say anything that goes against the dominant narrative, you're kicked out of the tribe. Or you're just pilloried because you're not just expressing an opinion, you're offending someone. You're making them feel threatened and afraid. And so we pick that up just as part of the social commerce, just to ease our way through life. So I think a lot of the reason these wounds are there, part of it might be that we haven't been diligent enough to attend to the problems. Part of it might be that we're used to going along with things that are problems, even though we sense they're problems. And part of it might be that they're just so common, we don't even see them. So it, how do you deal with those second two categories, where everyone else is doing it, or we're not even aware of what we're doing? Yeah, there's an old saying, if, if you don't stand for something, you'll go for anything. That's where we're at. That's where too many of us are at. And we, we become comfortable uh, being hobbled. Uh, and that's what it is. You've been intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually hobbled. And we have grown comfortable being that way. For those of us who are uncomfortable or that's not a state we want to be in, we have to be very mindful about tending, as you said, tending to our own well-being. I believe the avoidance of the thrashing mechanism of the thousand cut uh, device which is the attack on critical thinking the attack on um, self-ownership the attack of entitlement the attack of mal-narratives all about mm. that some way somehow you control people's Feelings, whether they're they're offended. Years ago, there was a very popular book called The Four Agreements by this guy Ruiz. And one of the things he says is, don't take anything personal. That was 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, this book came out. No, it was, it was one of the most well-read books around. And that thing, don't take anything personal. Now we've completely flipped that, take everything personal. <laughs> no, we flipped it. In your lifetime, we flipped it, John Teddy. To where you're offended by everything. And you must walk on eggs, which is contrary to the very nature of individual thought. How, is you, how do you, as an individual, control the feelings of anybody? People will feel however the hell they're going to feel by whatever the hell you do. All you can do is be your best if you intention requires forethought. So if, if you're offended by me, it was not my intention because I wasn't thinking about you. The comedian wasn't there to offend you. He was there to tell jokes. And then you have the less talented listening and holding their $5 ticket stub, censoring him 
So for that moment, they become Starbucks um, uh, baristas. Or, or you be, the, the comedian becomes a Starbucks barista, and you become the client asking for some outrageous thing to suit your palate of the moment. So you've reduced the average person who's in any type of interaction with people to a friggin' barista. You don't even want your doctor to talk straight to you. So he's now your barista. No, give it to me the way I like it, doc. Don't give me the diagnosis. So doctors don't talk straight. You complain about that. Because everybody is concerned with offending and the flavor not being just right. I was talking to Caitlin earlier today about comfort and discomfort. We talked about this before. Another death by, a, 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 by the thou, one of the other thousand cuts that we die by is this endless pursuit of everything being comfortable for us. Just an endless pursuit of variety of things that can offer us comfort. So that's pushed us deeper into selfishness and egocentrism, which again repels intimacy and closeness with others. So now you're lonely, have a poor social life, and no intimacy, and you wonder why. So you're dying from basic human interaction, but you've created a situation where no one can interact with you. You're so now infected from all these little cuts. So the remedy to that, like I said, tend to it when it's small. Don't take things personal. Learn to listen. But also promote in your own self-critical thinking. Think for yourself. Observe the people in your universe, in your world, in your reality. Cultivate strategies that allow you to be agreeable. Agreeable doesn't mean you accept or go along. You just get how people are. Okay, that's how they are. Know where each person has their strengths and weaknesses. Be Sun Tzu, art of war. Know the strengths and weaknesses. You know what your partner can handle and can't handle. You know what to expect and not to expect. Also allow in this strange time new normals for different ways in you, that you relate to people. You may have a career that you're stuck in and there are people you can trust and not trust. Don't be mad because you can't trust anybody at work. Well, you work in a den of thieves. So you know the different relationships you can have with a thief that needs your help. But it's still a den of thieves. So if you understand that, that's being agreeable. You have different relationships with your partner that may at different times be different things. Accept that partner for what they are and what they have going for themselves. Don't demand and expect of them things they can't do for you. But also know the nature of the ego that some people want to hear that they're everything. You're my earth, my moon, my sun, my rain. No, you're not. You're my monsoon and there's my sunshine. Okay? So accept people, different roles. You have different friendships. Tend to them accordingly. 
You have the, the social friend that calls you up when they need something or good time Charlie. Then you have your dead body in the trunk friends that no one else knows but you. Cultivate those relationships accordingly. Don't try to make people the Swiss army knife of existence. That's death by a thousand cuts. You're killing your character, killing your soul. So for those who want to rescue their soul, I say stillness is a good thing. Withdraw. Heal your wounds. Listen, but don't act. Listen to the carnival barkers, the scientists, the people of theater, the academics. Listen to all of them. Do what's hard. Critical thinking. Don't do what's easy. Do what's hard. And when you do what's hard, you'll get better at that, and you become stronger. Don't be afraid of the inevitable. Don't live your life afraid of death. Death is inevitable. That's the one thing you can count on. Life is questionable. Can't count on life. All kind of stuff happens that ends life. There's not a whole lot of things that end death. Okay? Death really works. Life is temporary. You guys are laughing. Is, is that, is, am I telling the truth? Death actually works. Life is a thing that has ups and downs. If we put a potentiometer on death, we can see absolute zero. On life, it goes, it varies between 100 and all the way to 0.1. All right? And it bounces around. You see anything? Bing, 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 bing. Right? When they flatline in a hospital, that's pretty absolute. You're not really worried about that anymore. It's the boom, 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 boom. That's the one you worry about. Mmm. Joe's looking good. Oh, not looking so good. Oh, he's coming back up. Uh-oh, looks like he's going to have to cancel Christmas. So, why are we so obsessed with the flat line? Let's be more concerned about that fluctuating line. And you know if you're bleeding your soul, bleeding your energy, bleeding your spirit, that is sucking the life out of you. Yeah, this is the greatest irony that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. That when people are so afraid of death, they don't have the ability to live. Because you're hunkering down, you're trying to control everything, uh, you're uh, trying to keep yourself safe, you're limiting your interactions, and you lose all the richness and experience of life. And you also lose the freedom, as we talked about, to live in the moment, which is what life is all about, to be present. Because you're always plotting and scheming and trying to avoid and defer and somehow cheat the inevitable and create your own reality, which isn't going to work. Ultimately, that's going to come crashing down. You're postponing the inevitable, but in doing so, you're taking this time that you have and you're throwing it away. And that, I think, is the ultimate death by a thousand cuts. So this living death, mm -hmm. the way that you put it, you turn into the living dead. We see a legion of the living dead who aren't present, who aren't engaged, who are either passing the time, looking for something better, or living in fear. And that, to me, is the poster child of what we want to avoid and why it becomes so imperative to diagnose this condition and understand 
when you're getting those cuts, when you're starting to bleed your life energy? How do you go back? How do you tend to yourself? How do you reclaim it so that you can sit back and recognize, yes, I will die. At some point that will happen. But the time that I have, I'm going to fucking live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't have to work on death. There's a few things in life you don't have to work on. You don't have to work on gravity. You don't have to work on death. You don't have to work on being old, getting old. You do have to work on staying fit. You do have to work on living. You do have to work on standing upright. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful work because you know what? All those things mean what? You're alive. You have to work on your intelligence. You can't rest on knowledge. And so in this short life, there's so many things you could work on. You could turn life into a hobby if you tend to your wounds. Somebody say, hey, what's your hobby? Hey, living. <laughs> That's my hobby. That's a great hobby. You know, I work on model trains and collect stamps too. I'd rather hear that than some of the stuff you hear. And as it's said in the scriptural term, in the omens of the Kali Yuga, that half of humanity would be amongst the walking dead. If you don't believe that, just look outside. Does anyone think it's bizarre when you just see uh, just uh, hordes of people masked up uh, doing weird dances to avoid people they think are diseased? I even saw a service dog with a mask on. Well, the dogs have the coronavirus too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really the uh, apocalyptic movie. There are people that won't come out of their house. Um, be, and, and they just constantly run through the bad news and they crunch the data to found that echo chamber. And all power to them. All I'm saying is for those of us who accept it, that all we know is what we know. There may be a pie in the sky and a sweet by and by. There may be a large number of virgins and whores waiting in the next life. I'm not sure, whatever you believe. I may be reincarnated. All that's uncertain. But what's certain is death. And before you die, you live. That, I think, I can bank on. So while I'm alive, I would rather not be subjected to a protracted struggle and suffering and torture of death by a thousand cuts. When I hear crazy news, I want to back out and process it, think about it, patch my wound, put some disinfectant on it. Hmm. Let me think about if I want to go for that. When I hear the different people that everybody's following and trending, uh, hmm, I don't know if I want different people to tell me how to live my life. They're not my role models. They're just not role models for me to live my life by. So maybe we can all find a role model if you want to follow somebody that you look up to and you trust and you see them as a, a deity in your life or some devotional person. That might be the better thing. When you hear rumor and innuendo, accept it as rumor and innuendo, no matter who it comes from. 
they even now have papers they can send you over the internet that shows curves and this and that and the ways you should behave. Question it all. They just proved that everything listed organic, most of it is not organic. Did you grow it yourself? Did you hang out at farmer's market? No, it's, well, you know that probably what you're getting is genetically modified, pesticide field things. Then accept it. Be agreeable. If you want better, it's going to be a little harder to get. Because so many people, there are so many zombies. There are so many undead walking amongst us that it is normal. It is more normal than not. So tending to the self and then after that tend to those you love to the best of your ability because like the zombie movie somebody you love may also be a zombie. And it's always like in the zombie movies. That person you love, you try to bring him into the camp where everybody else is. Come on, I love Joe. He's fine. He's just a little, has a few maggots coming out of him. He's okay, even though he doesn't have a pulse. Then the zombie tries to eat everybody. You see? So there's no energy in the zombie. So know and accept the liability to that. So go on and give them your left or right arm. But hopefully you'll keep one for yourself while you carry that person, accept who they are. That's part of acceptance. Or you try and elevate their life status, share with them what you can, and if that's something that resonates with them, they will follow your lead. But the best thing is to be an example. Right? Be a good example. But know the forces working against you are great forces. Even natural forces. The brain likes efficiency. People will tell me all the time, I didn't have time to look up facts. Don't confuse me with facts. It's too much. I've got a busy schedule. I have somebody, I've got a busy schedule. I have no time to read other opinions. I only read opinions that support my view and reinforce what I believe. That's why it's so hard to get people to eat healthy. You can compete with healthy living or you can compete with McDonald's with 100 billion souls. Just the sheer volume, it's hard to go against. Unless you're an outlier and you live in a different dimension of consciousness where you see, no, I want food that came from Earth and was not altered in recent time by primitive technology. Okay, so, but it's very difficult because many of these people have been cut and wounded so much they're just trying to crawl through the day, like many of us. People are just crawling through the day, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. So we, as we tend to ourselves, we get stronger, healthier. And in that, then we can de develop richer strategies for living and being. And we also run with this idea that every day, like the Buddha, we know that this life is a short gift a shooting star. And in a moment of brilliance, we exist. If you accept that, then you go deep into that moment. You want to suspend time in any way you can. You want to be healthy, well. You want to enjoy love. You want to laugh as much as you can. And then it goes out either way. The meat eater and the vegetarian will all die.
the saint and the sinner will all die. All you got right now is your story. A generation after your death, there'll be no trace you ever existed. The famous and the infamous, the known and the unknown, will all find the same fate. They will all be dust in the wind. Let that be a liberating message, not a bleak message. So that now when we face each other, we face each other with this enthusiasm. I love hanging out with my people. I love my crazy-ass family of, 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 of relatives and friends of all kinds. I love my memories of my travels. I love being healthy and strong at an advanced age. I love it. So when I go and I do my nightly prayer, I ask for nothing because I got it all. Now, next day I wake up, I get back into the fight in the morning, and I come home another day of battle, battling through the earth. And because I have that spirit in me, I love a good fight. Every day is a good fight. Dealing with you crazy asses, dealing with different personalities. I made it home that night. It's not unlike in the Mahabharata. Every night when they made it home, they would do an assessment. Are there any funerals we have to do? Any last rites we have to perform? No, it was a good day. No last rites to perform. But look at each one of those people and know you're going to lose them. Look at your mom and dad and know they've overstayed their time on earth. Look at your children and hope to God that, that you can, they can see you burn out. It's good as it gets, man. Trump, Obama... Saint, sinner, Pope, Putin. What's it got to do with you? Nothing. Nothing. There are peripheral irritants in your life. As I said earlier, we started this conversation. I go back, go back to 1820 and what our ancestors looked like. What were their big concerns? They had dictators tyrants, but you're here. hundred years ago, 1920s, dictators, tyrants, corporatists, polluters, they're here. We'll ask the kids in 60 years. We were long gone. But what is a constant is that we're living. We had this this gift of life. So the death by a thousand cuts, the worst part of that torture is the quality of your life is diminished while you're living. Preserve that. Be a pauper or a rich man. It's all the same. They kind of live the same length of time. Yeah. And I think uh, the other interesting thing is we lust after so much that does nothing for us. And that's part of the death by a thousand cuts. It's this focus on what do I not have, what is holding me back, versus just getting out there and living. You think about the things that bring you joy and peace. It's things like relationships, which you mentioned, mm -hmm. some kind of fitness, some basic standard, so you can navigate this world.
so you don't feel like you're own, you're a liability to yourself. Mm-hmm. Some way to express yourself, some hobbies, some things that you're passionate about. Someone to have sex with. A good meal. Some water. Life is simple, man. You know, advancing your knowledge, and I, I love that. Like, uh, the, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a science fiction fan. And I love the Roddenberry view of humanity is that... <clears throat> excuse me. The technology advances to a level where people don't have to work every day. So all everyone is doing is working on advancing their knowledge. And from there they create all sorts of technology and inventions. They cure every known disease. They're able to traverse the universe. They're even able to move through quantum space and time. Because they had time to enjoy life. So all the advancements of humanity comes in that middle zone. You're not being pursued or hunted by demons real or mythological. Not demons of the earth or demons in your mind. You have healed your wounds and you're not being slashed and cut a thousand times and bled out. That would be ideal. Imagine if we could free ourselves of those psychological um, weapons that are working against us to rob us of our life and humanity. And we just worked on, hell, let's say levitation. Just a hobby, interest, calligraphy. What could we do with that? Well, we can do a lot of that now. But we have the liability of, of interacting with all manners of people, and especially the people we care about. And that's where we have the most sway. We have no sway over the strangers. We have no sway over the, the hordes at the gate. We have to defend ourselves against that. But within the gates of the self, we, we can do a lot more than what we've been doing. Avoid the bad news. So we started this conversation with your discussion of martial combat and how death by a thousand cuts was a martial strategy to gradually weaken someone, prevent them from executing the way that they want, poke their eye, bruise a bone. You do that enough times and eventually they can't function anymore. Or at least they are seriously compromised and they have to reevaluate. And we talked about how that's similar to what we do in life, where we have this vital energy. Our creativity, our passion for living, our desire to connect with other people, things that recharge us and make life worth living, yet we bleed that out in so many areas. And we bleed it out because we follow false narratives, because we pick up bad habits, we don't tend to our duties. And we've seen how this can really debilitate us, it can debilitate our relationships, our job. Just the basic act of living, it turns us into the living dead. The one message of hope in this discussion is that we have control over the thousand cuts. So unlike a martial interaction where someone is trying to hurt you and you can defend yourself but you can't avoid certain injuries, most of what we do is self-imposed. It comes from our anxiety. It comes from our laziness, our aversion to conflict or pain. And those are all things that if we have enough awareness, we can control. We can stop injuring ourselves 
and life can turn into something that's just a lot more free. And ultimately, the reward of that is that we're present. And when we're present, as you said, Z, that's where we really live. That's it, man. You're absolutely right. No more to say to that. All right. right. Good talk. Good. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Every five-star review allows us to share more unique and insightful content. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week. Peace.